So this is week 27 of the Bible Story Piece by Piece podcast. We'll be reading Proverbs chapter 1 through 25 this week. And in front of me is not Brent Miller, but Dr. Dan Estes. Dan, thanks for uh, for coming here, man. Uh, great to be here with you, Trent. So just to start a little bit of background, I thought might be helpful as to why we're having you come and do Proverbs and not James, you know, uh, what, what's your background? Uh, maybe even start off where you grew up, your connection to Linworth, and then how you kind of got into wisdom literature. Well, I grew up in, in New York State, a uh, small town in the mountains. And uh, actually, I, I met Pastor Hattonfield, who was the, who's the emeritus pastor here, uh, many, many years ago when we both worked at the same camps. And, um, and then many years later, uh, he asked me to come and, and join his staff. And so I was on staff uh, as his assistant for six years. Uh, we love this church, and we've stayed with it, even though I've been teaching at Cedarville the last 38 years. That's remarkable. So you've been making the drive. You stayed, and it was part of your and Carol's decision to stay in Columbus to just keep going to Linworth and make the commute? That wasn't the plan, but it's, it was the Lord's plan, and that's how it worked out, and we're very glad to be here. So wow. I, have, I have my ministry over at Cedarville, but I have a ministry here as well and, and love both of them. That's great. And then how did you end up doing, why wisdom literature? Why that amongst any, it's a very niche genre. I don't know yeah. anybody else that's decided to do their post-grad work in wisdom literature. Well, actually, I didn't do my post-grad work in wisdom literature. Uh, I, I had a, a much broader uh, thematic study that I did. But um, when I was at a, a meeting a number of years ago and ran into Don Carson, and I had known Don from my days in my doctoral program, and uh, he said, I'm just uh, starting to edit a new series on biblical theology and wondering if there's something you could contribute to it. And at that time, I'd been teaching a class where I had taken the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and I had done a comparison and contrast with the writings of John Dewey, uh, thinking about you know, two, two very different philosophies of education and uh, trying to draw from that, you know, how, how should we teach? Because I, I was interested for myself and then also for, more broadly. And uh, so I said, well, what if I took the biblical part of what I'm doing in that in Proverbs 1 to 9, and, um, and would, would that be a good, um, good portion to be able to write a biblical theology on? And he said, yeah, that'd be fine. And so that became my first book, uh, entitled Here My Son. And, um, and then because I wrote on Proverbs, um, publishers started viewing me as a, as a, a Proverbs guy uh, or as a wisdom guy. And so I start, kept getting uh, requests to write different things. And so that has become the area that I've, I've done most work in, Proverbs and, and Psalms. And, um, and so it wasn't anything I really set out to do, but it's like so many things in life. We look back through the rearview mirror and we can see the path that God has had for us all along, even though in real time, it just, you know, we had no idea at the time that this was where things were going. Wow, that's amazing. So I didn't realize, so your first book was that book, that contribution to the new studies in biblical theology. Yeah, that's a great series. There's there's some really good books in there. And so you were in Cambridge, and that's where you met Don Carson. Did you go to Eden Baptist? I while, did, while yeah, you're there? That, yeah. Okay. We were at Tyndale House, which is a, that's right. just a wonderful uh, biblical library uh, study area. And so I, I met him there. He was on sabbatical, and I was in my doctoral program. And then we went to the same church at Eden Baptist, and um, it worked, worked there for, well, we were there together for a year or so. Uh, and then he, he went back to Trinity, and I continued my program. Okay, that's wonderful. And then 
so do you teach wisdom literature then at Cedarville now? I do. Yeah. Okay. I, every, every spring I have a course in wisdom literature. Okay. And what yeah. else do you teach there? I teach Psalms and then also a course we call the Bible and the Gospel, which is really a, a course in uh, spiritual formation and Bible study and spiritual disciplines. It's a, a freshman course. I, I'd love to teach that because wow. so much pastoring goes on. Yeah, that's great. So a little bit of context of this, this podcast. Um, essentially, Brent and I were trying to think of maybe additional resources to help challenge uh, or maybe provide insight in some small sliver that we're trying our best uh, as an additional resource to people reading through the Bible to try to paint through the big picture of, of, of the scriptures of how does uh, the book of Exodus relate to the coming of Jesus, you know, for especially insight, hope, hoping to provide insights for people who are reading for the first time. And uh, with that being said, there's so much that you could trace that you could follow in terms of biblical theology from Genesis to the cross, you know, or Genesis to Revelation even. So we have kind of narrowed it down to two themes that will ultimately find its climax, obviously, in, in Jesus and then uh, in, in the new creation as well. But from Genesis onward, the two biblical the, uh, theological themes that we've been f- tracing each episode uh, uh we're covering about 20-ish, 25-ish chapters a week. And the big picture themes that we've been connecting have been uh, the coming Messiah deliverer that you know was first prophesied in Genesis 3.15. We've been kind of tracing through how as the scriptures unfold themselves in the Old Testament, people are getting exposed to additional qualifications of what the Messiah will look like. You know, what tribe is he from? Uh, what will his character be like? You know, we see that he's going to be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the tribe of Judah and so on and so forth. So that's one uh, area right now. And so we're kind of waiting for this Davidic king descendants to kind of put it to, to put a death blow to sin. Uh, and we're still watching that unfold. Even, we're seeing some of those messianic themes throughout the Psalms as well, as uh, people are reading through the Psalms, just finishing up. And uh, the other theme that we've been following has been the presence of God. The presence of God, obviously, first being God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Because of sin, there's a uh, divide between the relationship of uh, the the presence of God and man's presence, and uh, we're follow, we followed in Genesis and Exodus the special unique moments of revelation where God reveals Himself to Moses through a burning bush and the cloud as uh, Israel's wandering through the wilderness and the tabernacle and then the temple and most recently in the Old Testament as we finished Second Chronicles and then went into Ezra Nehemiah and Esther. Uh, we've not only seen the temple be destroyed, but also the rebuilding process of the temple. And that's kind of where we've left off as we entered into the Psalms. And even some of the Psalms pick up uh, lament themes about that time of the destruction of the temple. We uh, Several weeks ago, uh, Brent and I recorded an episode on the Psalms of Lament in Psalm 79, talking about the destruction of the temple. Uh, you know, it doesn't say specific in, in any subscription um, or a subscript there saying that this was written during that time, but it's kind of inferred, you know, um, based on the words that are being said. And so because there's so much uh, that we could talk about in the Psalms for the past uh, seven weeks, six weeks, we've actually walked through um, one 
psalm theme that would be covered in that week's reading, trying to kind of provide a holistic theme of psalms. And you know, actually, I uh, I keep referring back to that email I wrote you. <laughs> this is probably years ago now when I first came on staff as we're trying to incorporate um, liturgical or even just additional scripture readings on Sunday mornings. And I sent you an email saying, hey, what would be the best division of so I actually have an Excel sheet of the email that you sent me from way back in the day that's been so helpful. And uh, so the different themes we've looked through, although it's not exhaustive in the Psalms, have been Messianic in Psalm 2, Psalm of Praise in Psalm 33, Confession in Psalm 51, Lament in seven, Psalm 79, Trust in Psalm 121, and Thanksgiving in Psalm 138, which now leads us to the Proverbs that we thought would be uh, we'd be best uh, equipped and uh, resource by just having you talk about it. And so with that being said, uh, there's going to be people reading this for the first time and some people reading it for the hundredth time, you know, given the 31 chapter nature of Proverbs, there's, you hear many people say that they've included it in their devotional life of reading a proverb a day throughout every day of the month. Um, And it kind of becomes just virtuous as, uh, as it applies to people's life. Uh, But others are reading it for the first time. So with that being said, what are the what what are the general contents of Proverbs and maybe even the context? The author, are there various authors and, and things like that? Yeah. Uh, Proverbs specifically and the wisdom books in general uh, do pose uh, an interesting uh, challenge uh, when you're thinking about how do they fit within the whole Bible. Um, and biblical theologians have always struggled with where that fits because it's not in the same kind of narrative timeline as what you have in the history. Uh, it's different from the prophetic books. And so, um, so there's always a challenge. How, how does this fit? Um, wisdom literature, uh, we get a good sense for how it was developed. Uh, a couple of passages, one in First Kings, uh, particularly chapter 4, where it talks about how Solomon who had been just given a gift of wisdom from the Lord in chapter 3, he went out, he made observations of everything, of plants, of animals, from the smallest to the biggest, and and from that he drew lessons for life. And uh, we have a good example of that in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, where he says, Go to the ant, observe her ways, and become wise. And then he zeroes in on, okay, when you observe the ant, what do you see? Oh, they don't need you know a boss telling them what to do and when to do it. They think ahead. They work ahead. And then he brings a lesson for life. He says, now, you sluggard, <laughs> you slacker. He said, listen to the ant you know, and be diligent, uh, be, be faithful in your work. And, and that's a pattern of, of how the, the Proverbs work. They observe life, and then from that, they, uh, whether it be animal life or plant life or human life, they draw lessons for life that they put together into very memorable statements, uh, kind of like bumper stickers. Mm. And then those were collected at some point in time. And, um, and so what we have in the book of Proverbs is the collection of these roughly, um, roughly 900 Proverbs that we have. Uh, we know from First Kings uh, chapter 4 that uh, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs, so this isn't everything that he spoke. Um, but uh, these are a representative sample of, of those teachings. Uh, there are two, ki- two general kinds of literature that we have in the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters and then chapter 31 are longer instructions. Uh, they're developed uh, out into you know, kind of mini-sermons. 
Uh, in chapters 10 to 30, um, we have individual sayings. Most of them are just two lines, sometimes three or four lines, sometimes a few verses put strung together on a particular theme. But for the most part, they're, they're just very small aphorisms. And they aren't put together in, in any discernible order. Now, there are some people who have who've tried to to figure out, you know, how are they or, ordered and get a lot of significance from that. I think for the most part, that's that's really um, trying to find something that's not there. Uh, there no doubt are some collections within those chapters um, where they are intended to be read against one another, but for the most part, they're individual verses. So what we have to do is different from what we do, what we do in most books of the Bible. Rather than having a paragraph, for example, to work with, we have to say, okay, what are all of the verses that pertain to a particular topic or theme? And study them individually, and then synthesize them together. Oh, so, for example, if we're looking for well, what does Proverbs have to say about our speech? Well, it has a lot of things to say about our speech. So you'd have to identify all the verses and study them and then say, now, what are the, what are the natural categories that these break into and develop a topical uh, study that way? And I, I've done that in a number of books uh, where uh, there's some important themes that, that you find throughout Proverbs. Mm-hmm. So... Unlike most books where there is kind of this chronological development, Proverbs introduces a new way to read, and that's thematically. That's kind of the best way to get the most out of Proverbs, would you say? Yeah, it's, yeah I think that's the best way to do it. I think, um, I think to, to try to cram things into a paragraph, these are entirely different subjects that come one right after the other, but then you look a couple of chapters over and you have the same subject picked up, and so we read those against those. And, and Proverbs are, are highly memorable sayings. And, and so in, in being very memorable, they've given up a little bit in precision. And so they often speak to one part of a subject, but then another proverb speaks to another part of it, and they balance one another. And that's why if we have to look at all that what Proverbs has to say about a particular topic, rather than just taking one verse and then you know, running with that, and then only find out later on, oh, there's another verse that, you know, for example, in, in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, uh, verse 24 says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly. Well, the wise person knows when you just kind of ignore the person and also knows when you have to call him out. And both of those are scripture. Both of those are wisdom. And it's bringing them together where you have that the true wisdom that you need. So they're not to be understood contradictory by no. any means. They're meant to be no. harm, in, in harmony with one another. Right. Yeah. So on that note, you know, with the, the nature of uh, how proverbial the writing is, there can kind of be a temptation to almost take some of the statements to be uh, absolutes or guarantees mm-hmm. that can get people into a lot of troubles. You know, I, I, I can't think of the exact wording. Uh, about training a child up in its ways and it'll teach him the way that it'll go, that can be taken in such a way that people think, well, uh, a child, the way a child is raised will certainly determine the way that it goes. So if a child ends up being wayward, uh, that ends up meaning that there was something wrong with the upbringing 
or vice versa. You know, if, if a child was to be faithful to the Lord and it's kind of an unanswerable explanation as to why they're faithful to the Lord, although they didn't have uh, a proper upbringing or things like that. So would you, a, a, any comments there regarding yeah. kind of the, the, the generality or the trajectories yeah. of Proverbs? You know, on, on a, in a parallel way, I've heard someone say that a teacher hasn't taught until the learner has learned. Well, I've been a teacher for a long, long time, and I know that in a particular class, I can teach, and yet you get different responses. Some students that they are A students, they just respond well, they learn it, they, they put the work in. Other students in the same class hearing exactly the same words, and yet they blow it off, they don't do the work, they fail. And if you're going to simply look at one side of it and say it's all the responsibility of the teacher, that's going to pile, you know, unjust guilt on that teacher. And it's going to give a free ticket to the slacking student that isn't doing the work. Similarly, I think there have been a lot of parents who have been really beat up when they hear, train up a child in the way he should go, and the promise is, you know, when he's old, he won't depart from it. And, uh, and they say, but my child is departing. And, uh, and people say, well, obviously you didn't do your job. Well, in that same family, you have multiple kids, some of which are following the way of the Lord, others aren't. Okay, did they change things? Did they do and I just think it's far better to look at other Proverbs that talk about how uh, a wise son gladdens his parents, a foolish son is a grief to them, indicating that, well, there's a responsibility for, this, for the child, too just as there's a responsibility for the student. And so this is where it's important to look at all of the Proverbs that relate to parenting, child-rearing, and see what do they have to say about the role of the parent and the role of the child so that we don't give um, an unwarranted guarantee to, student, to parents. And on the other hand, we don't pile on them unfair guilt either. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. Is there any other practical tips that you'd give to somebody, maybe even reading Proverbs for the first time, uh, especially given how uh, thinking about uh, applying it to our life? You know, Brent and I have kind of talked about one temptation that we fear we might provoke in people reading through the Bible is the temptation to provoke people to uh, master the Bible as opposed to being mastered by the Bible. And Proverbs is so virtue forming. Um, what advice would you give on, on how to apply the book to our everyday life as someone's reading through it throughout the week? Yeah. Well, I think the Bible itself uh, gives us a good indicator of what we ought to be doing. Uh, when, when Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he said, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, the all scripture he would have referred to would have been the Old Testament. And that would have included Proverbs. Um, because New Testament hadn't been written yet for the most part. So he said, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable. Because it's God's communication, it's profitable. And he says profitable in four ways. For teaching, which is positive instruction about God and his will. For reproof, negative instruction that tells us when we're wrong. Correction, it's instruction that gets us back on the right path after we've gone off the wrong path. And then training in righteousness, God's continuing encouragement for a life that meets his norm, that is righteous. And then it says in verse 17, and all of this is to the end, that 
a person will be thoroughly furnished or spiritually fit. Um, in other words, the Bible isn't intended simply to fill our minds with lots and lots of good facts. It's intended to change our lives, to, to make us a different kind of person. And the wisdom literature is particularly focusing on that. I mean, if you read through Proverbs and say, okay, what is the positive instruction God is giving me here? How does he want me to live? What's, what are the negative reproofs where he's telling me where I'm wrong? What's the correction showing me how to get back onto God's path? And what is this continuing encouragement, training in righteousness uh, that, that he's doing? It's, it's like the Bible is it's like a good coach that teaches us how to play the game, points out how we're messing up, shows us how to make the changes we need to to be able to play the game well, and then cheers us on to victory. And, and that's in Proverbs fits that, that model beautifully. Wow, that's great. And then, uh, I mean, what role has scripture memory played of, of Proverbs in your, in your own personal devotions? Well, you know, I, I'm one of those that read Proverbs regularly. And I find if you read them regularly and you're meditating on them, you don't really have to sit down and memorize them. They're just there. I mean, they, they just become part of life. And, um, you know, there are certain verses that are good to memorize um, because then they come right back to you. But there are many others that, that just, they're there. And uh, I, I think that probably rather than spending a lot of time trying to memorize a few verses, it's best to spend that same time getting into the Proverbs as a whole and let the whole book work on you, let the, 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 the whole 900 Proverbs really come to bear. That's great. Yeah, and it's readers will obviously be exposed immediately about the the book of Proverbs touches on every area of life. It does, yeah. I mean, there is so much instruction. And in fact, there are times that you will see... I remember the sermon that you gave. I think it was on... Is, is Proverbs 6 considered the ant? Is that what you yes. said? Mm-hmm. I remember, I think you, several years ago, there was some summertime sermon series we did on Proverbs in the summer. Yeah, I, I did Wisdom at Work. That's right. And that sermon at least instructed me that we should be... Uh, looking for proverbs even in nature mm-hmm. you know uh proverbial lessons even throughout yeah. our day as as you know um what we see in proverbs 6 to consider and the, the reason for that trent is that if you look at proverbs three nineteen and 20 it says that the lord by wisdom founded the earth he hardwired wisdom into his creation and what we're doing when we look carefully at the creation, we are seeing the wisdom that he has embedded there in the ant mm-hmm. uh, or many other things that, that, that we could look at. That's what, what Solomon did when he observed carefully the world and then made statements about life lessons from that. And uh, it's what Jesus did many times when he says, you know, it's, it's like this and gives an analogy. He was the ultimate wise teacher used the same techniques as what you find in Proverbs and and talked about many of the same themes. That's great. And on that note, you know, each uh, each week that we're reading a passage of Scripture, we're, we're trying to help readers maybe connect the dots of how this uh, ties into a, a bigger meta-narrative of Scripture. Uh, obviously, just then you touched on how, how Jesus is the ultimate wise teacher. Um, he's kind of the embodiment of wisdom in uh, in human life, is there another or any other um, instruction that you would have for how we can think of how Proverbs connects into the, the bigger picture of the Bible? Yeah. Well, I think we actually need to connect the Bible into an even bigger picture, and that is what God makes known. 
um, there are many things that God makes known in the Bible, and uh, it is his truth. But there are also many things that that Jesus taught when he was here on earth that um, we get to the end of of, uh, the, the Gospel of John, and John says twice, the end of chapter 20, the end of chapter 21, that there are lots of other things Jesus taught that he couldn't include in that book. And those are things that God made known through the incarnate Jesus. There are also things that God has made known through his world. And those are things that, I mean, all the wisdom goes ultimately back to God. Uh, and because Christ is the Son of God, um, that's why Colossians says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But what we have is God is making known a lot of things to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. And Paul says in Romans 1 that, that when humans received that knowledge that God revealed uh, in the natural world, they suppressed that truth and they're held accountable because they suppressed that truth, not because they'd heard what Jesus did, but because God had made it evident within the natural world. And so, um, yes, God is speaking through Christ. Yes, God's speaking through the Bible. God's also speaking through nature. All of those things are involved in Revelation, speaking, revealing things about himself, but then more broadly, revealing things about life, uh, how he wants us to live. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That makes me want to have my uh, my eyes more peeled to what's yeah. going on around me because it's so easy to get caught in monotony and even my own habits and rhythms of life that I'm not looking for the lessons that God might be trying to reveal to me as I'm walking to and from various places or uh, things like that. Well, I'm not going to give an invitation here, Trent, but uh, you know, I think we can probably learn a lot more from God if we keep our eyes open as we're walking, rather than having them on our cell phone yeah. and uh, you know, scrolling through our, our newsfeed, because it's all there. Yeah. But we distract ourselves so much away from what God is seeking to communicate to us, and we're the poorer for it. Yeah, I remember uh, there was somebody was trying to succinctly summarize how the Puritans would meditate on God's word. And uh, someone had explained to me, I can't remember if there was a particular Puritan that had done this, or if this was just a general practice of essentially as they would walk from place to place, they would keep their eyes peeled for some picture, some image Mm -hmm. that was going on around them. And then would basically think to themselves, what are the various aspects or various teachings of scripture that could apply to what I'm looking at right now, whether that's through Proverbs or the teaching of Jesus. You know, if they saw uh, a door, they would think to themselves, oh, there was a teaching that Jesus was the door. He's the only way to enter into the gates of heaven, you know, and things like that. So there's uh, even some historical instruction uh, within historical theology for us to abide by that as well. Any other um, tips, tricks you'd give to uh, readers reading through Proverbs that you can think of? Well, it does help to have a good commentary with you because um, many of the Proverbs draw pictures from everyday life of 3,000 years ago. And that made them very, very um, dramatic, very memorable for people, you know, 3,000 years ago and half a world away. But some of those we just kind of look at and go, I have no clue what that is. And so because 
it's such colorful language, such vivid language. Many times it does help to, to have some help on that. Um, another thing is rather than running with a single proverb too far, always be alert to are there other proverbs that speak to this subject so that, you know, I can see, I, I wrote an article a few years ago um, talking about the, the causes for poverty in the book of, of Proverbs. Why is it that people, not, not all humans flourish? Well, sometimes it's due to the person's laziness, carelessness. Other times it's because someone has taken advantage of them. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why people are poor. And, you know, it's easy for us to simply focus on the one that kind of lets us off the hook. You know, where, well, I'm poor because somebody else oppressed me. Well, maybe that's not the reason. Maybe it's because, you know, you've been careless, you know, or people are poor because they're lazy. You know, no, maybe it's because someone like you has been taking advantage of them. And, uh, and so uh, when we really let the full uh, content of Proverbs come to bear on the topic, then these things are a little bit more complicated. And we're able to really have wisdom because we understand those complications. You know, we often teach our children very simple things. Don't ever touch the stove. Because we don't want them to, you know, touch the stove when it happens to be hot and they get burned. But as we get older, we teach them, now, this is the time you do touch the stove. This is the time you don't touch the stove. And it's more complicated. That comes with wisdom. Uh, and so uh, Proverbs will, will help us to be able to think through those larger implications. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. And on the note of commentary, obviously we didn't ask you to come on here just to, to, to self-advertise any, any of your own commentaries, <laughs> but is there any books that you would recommend? I mean, maybe if there's varying levels of resources that you'd recommend, maybe to the beginner, the yeah. intermediate and more advanced familiarity with Proverbs that come to mind? Well, um, you put me on the spot on this one. Um, I'm happy to endorse I, I, the books. <laughs> uh, I, I did write a book uh, two years ago. It came out called The Message of Wisdom, uh, published by University Press. And um, I start with Proverbs and talk about the various aspects of wisdom. And I'm looking at broader themes, so I'm not getting into all, all the weeds. But then I do have some subject studies in there just to show what subject studies look like in Proverbs. But then I extend the study of wisdom into other parts of the Old Testament and then finish up in the New Testament. Uh, and, um, so, and, I, and I write it for, you know, for a general audience. Um, I've, I've done the scholarly work, um, but I've, I, try to, I try to pitch it in a way that it will have a broad reading uh, because I just think that that's, that's what's most needed in the church today for, for people you know, in general to be able to have resources that help them to understand God's Word. And what I've tried to do is to, to work through that so that as you read it, then you can go back to Proverbs and say, oh, I understand what this means now. It is there. I, I see it. Um, and just try to help people to, to, to get the point of that. That's great. And then would, I mean, would you recommend Hear My Son, the, the New Studies in Biblical Theology work that you did as well? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a book that focuses particularly on uh, developing a, a, a biblical theology of, of education. And um, I'm thinking education in, in a large sense, not just strict schooling, but every parent is educating their children. 
And um, we have all sorts of opportunities where we are discipling other people or mentoring other people. We uh, or we are being mentored by by others. And so I, I talk there about um, you know what what education is, uh, what the curriculum for education is, the goals for education, the values, uh, the role of the teacher, the role of the learner. Uh, just I, I went at this saying that if if you were to look at the book of Proverbs and organize the material, uh, from Proverbs 1 to 9 in the same categories that someone who is doing a, a theory of education would, then what would it look like? And I have found that over the years, this has really informed my teaching. I, mean, I teach, my teaching has been um, dictated by, by what I've learned in Proverbs uh, because this is God's wisdom and I, that's what I want to be able to do. So whether I'm teaching here in my ABF at church or whether I'm teaching at the university, uh, that's Proverbs has, has informed how I do that. That's great. And then so our, for, for teachers or parents, that would be another book that would work. Okay, yeah. excellent. And then are you allowed to share what you're working on this summer? No? I think I'm allowed to. Okay. <laughs> do you, you want to share what you're writing on right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Um, several years ago, I I did a commentary on the second half of Psalms uh, for the New, Comment, New, New American Commentary series. And um, someone else was was commissioned to do the first half. That's why I was doing the second. And then the person had to back out. And so as I was finishing my volume on Psalm 73 to 150, the editor asked if I'd be willing to do Psalm 1 to 72. And uh, so I said, well, okay, it's, it's a four-year project. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a, a lot of work. But um, but the Lord kind of finally twisted my arm and convinced me that he was giving me the privilege of being able to write a whole commentary on Psalms, which I've been teaching for many, many years. And so I'm, I'm about two-thirds of the way through that process now and um, working on it. I mean, I work on it year-round, and um, it'll, it's due to the publisher in December of 2023. Okay. And so um, I'm right on target to hit that deadline, but a lot of work to go between here and there. Yeah. Well, we know how to pray for you. Yes. <laughs> the Lord would give you strength during uh, yeah. the school year and during the summer break as well. Yeah. So we usually close by either Brent or I praying for anyone listening to this as they're reading through this upcoming passage of scripture. So would you mind just closing in prayer for Happy anyone listening uh, yeah. and reading through Proverbs? Yeah. Father, we're so thankful that you are the source of all wisdom and that in your word you have given us the book of Proverbs that guides us into so many aspects of how to live wisely in this world. Father, I pray for all the people who are listening to this podcast and that wherever they are and wherever they are in their relationship with you, that you would use the book of Proverbs in a powerful way to teach them about you, to teach them about life, to teach them about wisdom, and Lord, help them more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ, who is the embodiment of your wisdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, Dan. Hi, welcome.